Hello, good evening, and welcome. I'm Simon Bestwick. And I'm Gemma Files, and this, of course, is No oh, Darkness But Ours. Uh, today we're talking to Paula Ash, who's, Yay, hello. Whose, whose debut collection, uh, We Are Here to Hurt Each Other, is so fucking good, so amazing. Yeah. Um, and I'd, I'd actually like to start with a quote from one of the stories. Above us, the white light from dead stars spun capriciously through black fields of desolation, as they did before my birth, as they will do once I am dust. Pain is the source of all matter. It is the force that holds the universe together, that will tear it apart only to rebuild again. Throughout the ages, humanity asks over and over again, why are we here? And then pretends as if the void does not bellow the answer back every single time. We are here to hurt each other again and again and again in perpetuity. Yeah. So, um, strangely enough, the... Uh, the, I mean, the language is dense and poetic in a very Clive Barkerish kind of way, and much as with Barker, um, the book is a lot. A lot of it is about pain. <laughs> uh, she said, laughing hysterically. Um, and I was thinking it was going to be about you know fluffy bunnies and magic mushrooms. No, no. Know, um, <laughs> now I knew that you were a huge fan of Hellraiser. <laughs> <laughs> and and Martyr, <laughs> yes. the the two um, you know the numinous end of pain, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, and the sexual end of pain, yes, um, yeah, both of which come out of body horror, that body horror impulse to destroy yourself mm -hmm. uh, and to find, I guess, identity in your own self destruction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, identity to find agency. Um, to find, uh, I, I mean, I think there's uh, a lot of my work deals with um, pain as a, I don't know, like pain, the, the transformative qualities of pain, I guess, what, yes. what, what, we're, what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at, uh, and how there are various reasons why one might go through that because certainly it's not obviously it's pain it's not easy yeah. it's not the sort of thing somebody would would well in most cases wouldn't willingly throw themselves into um and so i'm interested in those extremes that yeah. push people to to that um and I mean, so uh, yeah so, so there's that. there's a line from robert silverberg that suggests itself to me a lot um <laughs> in life, uh, which is pain is instructive. Um, and I think it kind of, ah, it kind of speaks to that thing of creating a pain that you can control to get through a pain that you can't control. Mm, yes, yes. Like that kind of thing. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah, very much like that. PTSD, yeah. you know, like mm -hmm. setting limits for your pain and saying, yes. I, I don't know when the pain is gonna descend on me, so, I will find a way to let the pain out. Yes. To, yeah. Yeah. To minimize it and to, well, not minimize it, but almost to create a channel for it. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I don't want to be, <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to be um, gender essentialist about it, but I got to say that it, it seems very female to me. Um, 
it, this it's idea. Funny. It's it's funny that you say that because I made a really uh, a really terrible mistake recently. I went on to Goodreads and I read mm. some of my reviews. Don't mm. ask me why I did that. That was a no, bad do choice. Um, you, you write about pain a lot, so obviously this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I particularly like the the part where you cook the baby. That was. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> oh man, y'all are my people. Um, and I, but the thing was, the the review for the most part, I don't, I didn't read all of them. But there was one in particular, and I know I'm not supposed to respond to it, and it's, I'm, I'm right. responding to it only because I, I think it's interesting in line of what of what Gemma, what you just said. Like one of the things that that somebody said, and I thought was really interesting, but they said, and I don't even know if they meant it in terms of being a, a, a critical, you know, or, or like a complaint, was that that the the women in in we are going to hurt each other suffer so much, and they were looking forward to when the men suffer too, and I was like, huh, that's true, but I think it also comes back to the way that in film quite often the 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 it's not necessarily just about the er eroticization of suffering and of pain and how that's always been presented to us most often in like the male gaze and all that and yeah. that's a you know a cisgender heteronormative kind of gaze but um i just i i don't know i just i i think that there's something about exploring the pain of women in a way that i find really interesting Mm -hmm. um and i also don't I, I mean i guess i find it kind of i don't know i find it kind of feminist if i can go there like i find like i find it it's not done for you know and I, i'm not trying to like justify anything but like i it's it's my motives is not to or not to like um be exploitative or anything it's just also i mean again not to be generous that's that's what i know like that's like that's yeah. you know the way that you are socialized in terms of your gender has a great deal to do with how you deal with pain um i mean ask yeah, yeah. you know I, you, you put it on lock you put it on hold you push it away yeah with other people's pain right because you're the mom and yes you're the aunt and you're the sister and you're, you're the, the daughter. daughter yeah yeah and you don't get to 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 deal with your stuff um, immediately. So, I think that that's, you know, I think I think that's 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 accurate. I think a lot of it is about um, the way that that women have to push their pain aside for later, um, and then the how empowering it can be to kind of take it back and to say like, no, I'm actually suffering, and this is what I'm dealing with, um, and I'm going to control this suffering. Like, I think mm -hmm. that's, you know, that whole agency um, aspect of it, I think is really important to, to, to yeah, me the, as well. The, the idea to some degree that you can't choose not to get hurt, but you can choose how you get hurt. Yes, yeah, yeah. Or you can choose to, you know, say how you will respond to that hurt or how you will, uh, um, you know, or that you will hurt yourself. Like I'm letting yeah. it hurt anyway. So what if I just do it to myself? Cause it's gonna happen. So I have power to determine like yeah. how I'm going to hurt myself. Yeah, uh, often often with male on female violence, I'm sorry, uh, Simon, I took that okay. you off. Um, with male on female violence, there's this sense of reduction 
that mm-hmm. you, you have been reduced. You've been reduced to a body. You've been reduced to a corpse. You've mm-hmm. been reduced to a toy with wounds all over it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but there's something about owning your own pain that makes you feel huge. It's additive. Yes. It's, that's I know that's that's but it it does it, 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 the opposite of reducing you yeah it makes it's, you gigantic it makes you gigantic it makes you a, a, a you know you feel like a titan like you're yeah you know, you're, I do yeah and they were and <laughs> now there that's something right yeah. there um, um yeah, yeah. I like that um but yeah which, which again is very is very barbarian. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The hills, the cities. Um, then we just we do get out. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's that's. I think that's that's it. I think it's it. You know, when so much. Again, I'm I'm and I'm I mean this in terms of like very traditional gender socialization for women. You know, um, we're we're meant to be smaller. I mean, like that's just you know that's everything about. Women kind of makes forty goals of their own life, kind of um, thing. Yeah. To other people, is the expectation. Yeah. That yeah. you help other people. You are the angel of the house. You're the aid. Mm-hmm. You're the salve. You right. Know, right. Somebody else gets hurt, and you go, ah, oh, you know, let me do something about that. Yeah. Yeah. Take care um, of that. But but not to take care of yourself. Uh, and so I think that it is very. You know, it's it makes you feel a, a sense of power and a sense of agency and a sense of um, uh, what was I, I was going to use a word and I can't remember what it was, but it, it it makes you feel like you were saying, Gemma, it makes you feel bigger than yourself, but it also makes you feel like um, you can't be kind of denied anymore. Like yes, there's realness to it. There's a yeah materiality to it i think yeah you know yeah absolutely that that is absolutely true um it's kind of the anti-gaslighting thing where you know it's like that's that's where you move from crazy bitch to crazy bitch <laughs> <you know? laughs> where, where the guy's like you know it's like oh you don't hurt you don't hurt as much as you say you are mm-hmm. right? you say you're hurt. you're not in pain what are you what are you talking about and you're like Look at this! Right, right, right. It's certain there's a power as well, isn't there, in sort of saying, um, um, "Yeah, hurt me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna hurt myself." Um, you know, not because one of the biggest impulses is usually avoid, trying to avoid pain, avoid suffering. Mm. Mm. Yes. And um, we were talking about Barker. I mean, another Barker who was, was a big influence on me more because I had a bit of an acting background is the playwright Howard Barker, and he writes a lot about, well, partly a lot about sexual desire and it's kind of effects and also about pain mm. uh, but he did sort of say that one of the things that the theatre does or can do is it mocks the sort of one of the central impulses of our lives which is self-preservation and in real life we say this far and no further my sanity demands it and in the theatre we say this far and farther still mm-hmm. uh, you know is that thing of you going to that level of extremity but of course yeah a lot of the characters in quite a few of your characters kind of have um uh, have a selection of shitty choices. Basically, it, it is kind of like, yes. oh, I can, I, I can't choose. No- okay, so the, so let's see, not not being t- not being horribly hurt in some way is not really an option on the menu. I can, it's just do I get gouged in the eye or get a red hot poker up my ass or you know what the which <laughs> which which one shall we pick tonight? Yeah. You know? 
<laughs> hold, hold my hand as I submerge my face in acid. Oh yeah, that, that's oh, the, yeah. the guy, yeah, that's that figure, the the guy, the man with the with the the face of uh, the face of teeth. I mean, where did because he he pops up at a couple of the stores, and I think you've said that you're planning to sort of you have more, and I, yeah, plans to do more with it. I mean, where did where did this kind of really striking sort of figure come from? Um, that's a that's a that's a uh, a really fantastic question. So I'm really it's obvious at this point I'm really odd. And so um, I like to think of things that scare me before I go to sleep. Because um, sometimes I can't fall asleep. So I'm like, what's really scary? Mm. And so one night I was just lying there and I was thinking like, what if there was somebody in this room? And like, I just didn't, like, I don't know where they came from. I didn't hear them, they were just standing there. And I thought, what if there was, because I'm always like, as again, for those who've read the book, I have a thing about faces. Um, and so um, I was like, what could be like, like, what would be like a messed up thing? Like, what if, like, I don't know. I'm like, what, what if somebody's whole face was just teeth? And like, I, I know this, like, it's, it's, it should have like a more, you know, uh, I don't know, like profound genesis, but that's literally what it was. Like, I was lying in bed one day and I was just thinking, like, it was the night, it was, a, it was, um, I don't know when it was, I think it was before my daughter was born and so um you know i was just lying in bed and and you know my wife was asleep and i was just laying there thinking about like what if there was somebody in this room and their face their whole face was made out of teeth that'd be messed up and then i just kept thinking about it um because i'm goofy and uh <laughs> and um i that that image just kind of developed from there um the first story that I wrote about the man with the face of teeth is the story, the second story in the book, not the first one. The right. um, Carry On Carry On was the first story that featured him. Mm. Um, and that, that story uh, initially wasn't even, like the first half of that story isn't fiction. The first half of that story was just like me leaving work when I was teaching full time and um, just leave, it was late at night and I was the last, my car was the last one in the parking lot. And you know, that fear you have again, as, yes. as, as a woman, that, that fear you have, like somebody's out there and they're going to get you. And so I was just kind of imagining like, what if there was somebody underneath my, hiding underneath my car and what if they, you know, put a syringe in my leg and I, you know, and I, and I remember it was a full moon and I looked up at that and then my brain just kind of, you know, kind of went from, from, from there um, mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, um, what, I don't know, what, what would, like, what would that do? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what would that picture do? And then it kind of just spiraled. It's interesting, that fractal image of, you know, teeth, mm -hmm. teeth, teeth, teeth mm -hmm. and more teeth and more teeth and more teeth. Mm -hmm. um, it, it reminds me a lot of, uh, uh, in one of my earlier stories, I wrote about a woman with hooks for hands, which oh. was an image from a dream. And, uh, you know, a woman who can never touch but only wound. Mm. And the story I need to... Well, well, yeah, whenever you, I think it was hidebound. Okay. Um, but uh, whenever you, uh, and hidebound is in Kiss and Carrying. Um, 
Um, what I don't have. Whenever you think about uh, it, there's an audiobook of it now, which is kind of nice. Nice, that's awesome. Yes. Anyway, um, whenever you think about a guy with a with something wrong with his face, I yeah. always think, what would it be like to kiss that person? <laughs> <laughs> I too have whatever that affliction is. I always, I always think that what would it be like to kiss that person, and like yeah, why do exactly. I think that? But that's the person I think of too. Yeah, yeah. I have uh, books, faces do that. I mean, um, the my second book, the novel, The Faceless. That was the yes. starting for that was seeing pictures of um, German soldiers who suffered facial injuries in World War One, mm. um, because there was a hell of a because of course with the invention of the steel helmet, it, and of course sticking your head above the trench and getting hit by something. It was a lot easier to see a trauma to that part of the, to the to your head that wouldn't actually kill you. Um, as people were coming back with with uh, this horrific kind of mutilation. Um, and, you know, you see some of those pictures and you see that, you know, these mouths. There's a, I picked up a book years later called War Against War by a German pacifist called Ernst Freidich. And he basically collated as many of the most appalling pictures as he, for, images from the First World War, because of course this was also one of the first wars to be extensively photographed right, by right. ordinary soldiers, because have like a brownie camera or mm, whatever. Right. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of pictures in that, but there's a lot of pictures of the those kind of facial injuries, which mm -hmm. obviously you see those, and they do not they do they they, they tend to stay in your head. Yes. Yeah. Um, um, there's there's an absolute understanding at that point of why de deconstructionism came out of World War One. Yes. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. because people had seen other people be deconstructed, mm -hmm. <laughs> be destroyed, be, you know, like ground down. And, you know, it's like, how can you live with a huge hole in your face? Well, you can, unfortunately. Sadly yeah. enough, you can. <laughs> yes. If, if yeah. since there's that, there's actually, I mean, of course, a lot of the kind of a, were modern plastic surgery a lot of that came out of the aftermath but there was also um several people they, they paint they produced like sort of yes. masks for these soldiers yeah. to wear yeah. like very thin painted tin um which are i mean because your you, imagination goes there you kind of partly recoils in horror and partly what must that be like and one of the most one of the pictures i saw in war against war i've never forgotten it and it's like a profile picture mm. of a guy and there's like a lower jaw, but and everything from the but everything from like the forehead is just gone. It's like a it's like I'd see a picture of a crescent moon. Mm -hmm. And somehow this guy was still alive. And I don't know how much they managed to reconstruct. Um, but I mean, you kind of half of you is kind of like, oh my god, thank God we can't see that from the front. And the other half is like, what does that look like from the front? Well, that is, that in incredible character um, from Boardwalk Empire, uh, Richard. Okay. Richard the sharpshooter who yes. comes back from World War One and he's wearing one of those masks. Uh, his eye is gone. Uh, he has like half of a mustache painted on his. Mm. You know, it's like everything is gone from here to here. And at one point he takes it off when he's dying. And <laughs> you're just like. Yeah, it's like, yeah. here's my face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, another fucked up face that really i mean there's a you know the kind of thing that stays in my my memory is a there's a tv show called horizon and it was going through a phase of becoming what i refer to it as we're all fucked because uh, <laughs> everything it did was some kind of horrifying scenario about how we were all doomed but it was talking about you know the possibility of a new 
uh, flu pandemic of the sort of the nineteen oh. of the nineteen eighteen to nineteen variety, yeah. which had been the thinking was had probably been some form of avian uh, version. Um, well, it is it's still being debated, but um, mm. uh, there was as well as kind of like the, all the horrors of that. There was also um, another outbreak that followed uh, called Encephalitis lethargica, which right. people think may have been linked to it. And this was so the so-called sleepy sickness. Yeah, and you see that from awakenings. But a lot of the time, people often become like partially paralysed, stiff, almost right. kind of locked in. And I do remember this image of this guy who was just kind of frozen with his mouth kind of yawning open like that. Oh. And his eyes just kind of like staring into the camera. And that fucking stayed with me, I'll tell you. There's a there's a short story ended up in my second collection, Pictures of the Dark, called The Hours of the Dead, which was just mainly me freaking out over those images <laughs> and thinking, this is going to go to a story. You know, um, I have no fucking clue. And I'm not trying to say anything big or profound here. I'm just like, oh! It's just, it's just the horror of the horror. Yeah, yeah. I love <laughs> stories like that. Where you're yeah. just like, this is messed up and I can't deal with it. A lot yes. of the story actually, where I'm, I'm moving away from the, the face thing just a bit, but we can That's come back. Uh, the, um, but the story bereft was was me yeah. freaking out because I had heard the story of Joseph Fritzl and I was like, what do I do? What do I do with this? Like, I, I'd never heard anything like that before. Um, and that's 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 where that's where bereft um came from because i just i don't understand how i don't understand how like that's the yeah. whole you know yeah how that's the whole how? thing you know how, does that, <laughs> how, how, how does that, that happen how do you do how do you do that how does it happen how do you live with yourself how do you how do people live with you like, well i mean essentially you you just more than anything else you just decide that what you want is more important than anything, than anything. Yeah. <laughs> and any any possible yeah. alternative and, yeah yeah and somebody said that's one of the you know, um i think it's teddy pratchett um that it, one of his characters basically asked when asked, asked to define sin says it's when you treat people as if they were things mm-hmm. and yes. that is kind of, um yeah that's always the kind of the thing of, of you know sort of uh you know, somebody decides this other person doesn't count except as a means to an end of what I, mm-hmm. it is always that I matter more than you. It's yeah. what I want. Um, matters more I, want. I'm one of the only people that I know who's a fan of Prometheus, the film. And film. part of, Prometheus. yeah, and part of what I love about it is the character of David. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that is the besetting sin of the engineers and of humanity yeah and the besetting sin of humanity is to treat things as if they're people and people as if they're things yeah yeah absolutely you know if you make something that has human sized comprehension and then you make it so that it cannot disobey that's one of the worst things that i can think of Yeah. yeah You know, every child wants, yeah, yeah, so, well, I believe every child wants to kill their father. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, wants their father dead. I didn't. (laughs) No, no, sorry, dude, no. No. I think I mentioned. You you just had a really shitty dad. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yes. Yes. 
you and Charlize had a really shitty dad. Yeah, had really shitty dads, but that's thankfully that is not the uh, you know the standard for everybody. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it was mentioned this to you the last time we um, uh, when we were interviewing Linda Rucker, uh, the um, the BBC adaptation of The Invisible Man um, from 1984, which is the most possibly the only truly faithful adaptation I've seen of the Wells story. Um, you know, it's there's no kind of romantic subplots, and um, it and Griffin is. I mean, he's an absolute. A, he's. I mean, they, they actually make Griffin an albino as he is in the the story, mm-hmm. um, which of course there's all sorts of stuff about evil albino stereotypes. But of course, there is actually a legitimate reason for him to be an albino. It actually makes it easier for him to make himself invisible. Mm-hmm. But very Griffin is a world class fucking asshole. Um, and in fact, he's probably his textbook narcissistic personality mm-hmm. disorder. This total kind of thing where he just it is kind of like you know because I was watching this with with my other half and we were we were really enjoying it. But she was like, "God, he's an he's horrible. He's an arsehole. Doesn't he? Doesn't doesn't he ever occur to him to like ask politely? Kind of for anything? No. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there there are like two things going on with Griffin, uh, which are really interesting. And the first one is to make yourself invisible after having been a spectacle your entire mm-hmm. life of course you know, yes. of people looking at you and going like what 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 the fuck is wrong with you what mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like there's, there's definitely i definitely get a sense of there's a kind of a class thing as well because yeah certainly in we've, been, we've got to the episode where he find goes to dr kemp and kemp yeah. is in this big country house with servants and clearly isn't short of a bob or two whereas griffin has kind of had to you know he's 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 had to go cap in hand to people from and he's basically he robbed his own father um for it. so you get very much the impression that he is from um a kind of a, a much lower in the class system and has had to basically he, he has not he does have a wonderful line uh to kemp where he says men of your stamp have no idea what real rage is yes uh, yeah and, and so to does. become king invisible the first to become mm-hmm. yeah. the emperor of nothing and mm-hmm. you know I mean, listen, it's I, I love that line from uh, the Universal um, Invisible Man where he says, you know, the drugs I took seem to light up my brain. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but rage can light up your brain. <laughs> you know? yeah. Hate Sadly, can light yes. up your brain. Um, there's a there's a pleasure that comes out of completely giving way to your impulses. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you know, absolutely. instead of like. Yeah, I got to keep that inside. I got to keep that inside. I got to keep the mask on. I got to, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. but, you know, um, there's this moment. Yeah, my my husband is afraid of my anger, which is interesting because I, have, I haven't been super angry for quite a long time, but he's known me for 25 years, at least 30, maybe. And yeah, when I was younger, <laughs> there would be these moments where I'd be just like, don't ever fucking say that to me again to somebody and he'd just mm-hmm. be like because <laughs> in his family you don't do that at all <laughs> yeah yeah and there, there was a great i mean again coming from a very middle class uh suburban british background you know where the worst thing you could do is make a scene yes. um then mm-hmm. you know there is that you, there is very much this thing of uh, i mean i mean went to i went to a an all boys private school where there was there was a lot of bullying but of course that the, officially the school does not tolerate bullying what they mean is they don't tolerate any visible sign of it sure. so sure. 
the worst of it tends to be psychological and you're kind of having to you're walking around with it you're bottling up it's got nowhere nowhere to go um yes i mean whenever i would hear about you know sort of people you know you know people going on a rampage with a with a gun or whatever and i'd be like well yeah you know fucking hell i can understand that there were times when i you know as a fantasy the thought of walking into school with a browning high power in my bag and just sort of like right you you bastard and you and you and i was always thinking of something like a browning high power because it holds about 13 rounds in the magazine here and you know i was going to run out of bullets otherwise and i really you know, I, did, I did not want to be tackled before i had to stop and stop to reload and be tackled before i got you know at least halfway down the shit list yeah so the power of the powerless um mm. you know the the word of the person who feels they can't speak and so much of the time that expresses itself all in a burst because it's being repressed for so long and you feel as though when you let it go, you will go off like a bomb. That was that was another way that I often thought about it when I was younger, that eventually I would go off like a bomb. Mm. And people found it funny to make me do that, to make that happen to me. But also, you know, <laughs> also it destroys you <laughs> when you go off like a bomb. Because you have to clean it up. Yes. There's You're cleanup. the person. Yeah, and you're, you're the one who has to clean it up. And you can hear the second part of our interview with Paula Ash at the same time next week. Paula's Stoker-nominated debut collection, We Are Here to Hurt Each Other, is published by Nictitating Books, and you can buy it from Amazon or Godless. Links are posted in the description below. No Darkness But Ours is made possible through generous donations from horror enthusiasts just like you. If you'd like to support us, you can sign up to our Patreon and get access to exclusive content, or you can make a one-off donation via Ko-Fi. Links in the description below. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know in the comments, share and subscribe, and don't forget to hit the like button if you're watching us on YouTube. Let us know as well if there's anything you'd really like to hear us talking about in the future, and we'll be back with more at the same time next week. Until then, I have been Simon Bestwick. I am still Gemma Files. And this is, of course, No Darkness. 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 <laughs>